and uh, valuing and respecting the people who show up on time. So I want to open the Rockstar Book Club and welcome Jeb Blunt, who is our author today of Fanatical Prospecting. Uh, I read this book a couple years ago, and uh, my friend Barry Wolf, Michael who Bradley. was just speaking, uh, also uh, read it, and we've talked about how Adam. great the book was, and um, we are so excited to be talking to the author today, and I will tell you, uh, Jeb, the, our audience is commercial real estate folks, and the majority are people who uh, prospect for new business, whether to sell shopping centers or to fill their vacancies in their shopping centers, and uh, our industry is uh, sometimes behind the eight ball. Uh, a few of us are, are dabbling in social media, but the fact that we were just saying this on the call, the fact that you were talking about social media in this book when you wrote it in 2015 kind of blows my mind because in 2015 I wasn't even on Facebook. <laughs> so, and now, you know, three years later, four, almost four years later, I've kind of, you know, dived in and, and preach it. And, I, and it's just amazing. I, I agree with everyone that's shared that this was the best book. We do a, a book every month and we talk about how is the book compared to what we do for a living. And I've gotten more feedback this month on your book than all the rest of the 11 months combined. So thank you so much. Um, for the audience, Jeb has written nine books. I encourage you guys, if you loved Fanatical Prospecting, to read them all. He uh, is the CEO of a company called Sales Gravy, which does sales training. So for any of the leadership on the call, if you guys want sales training, please you know, look look. Uh, Jeb up, and he also has the number one downloaded podcast on, I think, iTunes. Um, so definitely, if you guys love the book like you are all telling me you love the book, you should, you know, look into more of uh, Jeb's work. But uh, if we can dive in, uh, again, thank you so much for your time, Jeb. You know, we, we're very excited when we have authors come on. And um, I, I don't know where to begin, but I will start with... Our industry is uh, addicted to email prospecting. So, for example, if someone gets a listing to sell a shopping center or to lease a shopping center, uh, our industry for you know 30 years or as long as email has been around has had a bad habit of sending out email blasts, and I have done my best to try to uh, discourage that habit and, and do more of a you know one-on-one -on -one personalized email, doing a little bit of a research you know in advance, so because when we get bombarded with 300 emails in our box, no one's looking at those email blasts. So I would love for you to speak about your, you know, you've got four tips to email prospecting, and if, if maybe we could open the call and you could start talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when and thank you, everyone, for reading my book. I'm truly grateful to you. It's, it's, a, it's a huge thing for an author to be able to hop onto a book club and everybody's reading the book, and, and then you say that it connects to your industry. So I truly appreciate that. The, um, when, when it comes to email, there, there, obviously you, you, you described one type of email, and that's bulk email. So bulk email is more like marketing. I get a listing, and then I blast it out to all the people on my, on my email list that may have uh, a, a, you know, some qualifi qualifier for, for renting the space from me or leasing the space from me. The, the email that I prefer is a one-to-one -one email. And a one-to-one -one email is exactly what you were saying. It's, it's a targeted email 
to a particular person for a particular reason. Now, as we talk about email, it's important to start thinking about sequencing and cadence while you think about email. So the problem with email for so many salespeople, and this is, to give you an idea, I just came back from Japan, and in Japan we were working with a sales team there, and we had the same problem. They never picked up the phone and called people. They just sent emails. And we just shifted them over to send the email, then pick up the phone, and their, their connects, their, their engagement doubled in the matter of just a couple of days by combining an email with a phone. So when we start thinking about using, the, using email, you want to think about email, how do I use email as a shotgun? And in, in some cases, it's appropriate to use email as a blast, as a, as a as, you know, as a shotgun, but it's better to use email as a rifle. In that case, you want to say, how am I tying my email with my social media outreach and with my telephone call? And it's, it's a, a rifle-type email is focused on the individual. And we talk about email, the four parts of a great email. Number one is the hook. And the hook is your first line in your email, so the first line in the paragraph and the subject line. So there are a couple of things that are going to get their attention. One of them is that they know you, so there's some level of familiarity. So when they see your name or see your email address, that's going to drive opens. Uh, but, that, but the biggest thing that drive opens is the, is the subject line in the first sentence. Most people are reading email on their telephones. I say most people, about 60% of people are getting email on their smartphones. Once aren't are using email boxes, that show them a subject line in the first sentence. The first sentence matters. And that sentence has got to connect to them. Most first sentences are, um, we are the biggest, we have this, we do this, I do this, the reason I'm writing you is this, and has no connection to the individual. So you want to think about it, do a little bit of research, make sure that first sentence connects to them. The thing is a relate statement, and the relate statement is relating to their situation. And there should be a lots of emotions that you can relate to in your industry right now because it's been in an upheaval shopping center, leasing uh, across the board, especially with retail, been in flux over the last, you know, say, what, 24 to 48 months, somewhere in that space. So there's a lot of emotions around this. So you can tap into those emotions by stepping into your prospect's shoes and relating to them. The next step is a bridge, and the bridge is why they should spend time with you. So you start off with a hook, something that captures their attention, all about them, Relating is stepping in the shoes and understanding things from their perspective. A bridge simply says, here's exactly why you should meet with me. So, so you have these problems, you have these issues, you have this, this desire. <clears throat> I can solve this problem this way. And then finally, um, you have an ask. And the ask is a hard ask for something. And that could be, go grab this piece of information on this particular property. I have it linked over here. Or it could be, uh, give me a call or let's meet or what have you, but there's a firm ask for something at the end. And when you combine that methodology with a phone call, so you send the email and then you pick up the phone and you call them, you'll probably end up leaving a voicemail, but that's going to end up getting you a call back way faster. And if you're connected with them on social media, you send an email, you call them and leave a voicemail, then you send them an in-mail on, uh, on, on LinkedIn, and, and then, of course, you post the um, the, the, the building on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, somewhere along the line, you're, you're, you're generating some familiarity. But that, what that does is that improves the probability that that person is going to engage exponentially when you follow a process like that. Awesome. Awesome.
awesome. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I wonder what I wrote when I asked him to speak on the, <laughs> on the book club call. I'm like, I hope I didn't write it was all about me. So uh, I'm going to go back and check that. But it worked because here you are. So hopefully I, was, uh, I did something about you, Jeb. It, was it wasn't enough about me. It was something about it. I think you said, I love your book, and that's, that, I'm, I'm good for that. That works. <laughs> okay, awesome, awesome. And then, um, and then in the book you talk about email testing. So I've done, you know, a lot of the stuff in your book I've dappled with here or there. My biggest weakness is CRM, and we're trying to go through a whole process now. But the rest, you know, as far as a lot of the stuff, I've made it my practice. You know, they call me the canvassing queen because I, you know, I'm constantly out there saying prospecting works. You know, you just have to do it. But one of the things I've never done ever in the 32 years of my career was test emails. So, you know, and I found that fascinating. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So there's, you, you, in order to test emails, it, it helps to have a tool that will allow you to do that. And one of the tools that's emerged since I wrote Fanatical Prospecting that I really like is a, is a tool called Outreach.io. But there are other tools like Yesware, Tellwise, and, and dozens more that will allow you to send emails either individually and test those or in bulk. Uh, we also use a tool called HubSpot. So typically this is attached to some type of a marketing or sales automation program. And outreach, for example, if you use Salesforce as a CRM, connects directly into Salesforce. <coughs> and then HubSpot has its own CRM, and everything in HubSpot connects into the CRM. And I apologize that I'm coughing, folks. I got a, a cold a few days ago, and it's just getting to its uh, worst part. So the um, – so the, the, the key is that if you have a tool, and then either with, if you're sending bulk email, mass email, so you're sending a whole bunch of email out, and you come up with a message, and you send that out and see what happens, how many people open it, how many people engage. But you can do, also do this on the one-to-one -one basis. So let's just say that you set up an email sequence. There is a, a company that I want to reach into, say they're property managers or uh, whoever the people are that you might work with inside of a company, and you've got a property that you think is right for them, you set up a series of emails one at a time that go out over, say, you know, the course of a, you know, a two-week period every other day, and then you can test which of the subject lines gets more opens, which of the first sentences gets more engagement. And some of that can be intuitive as well because sometimes you get on the phone with somebody, and I know this happens to me, and I rarely, rarely, rarely respond to emails. It's almost you, – you, I, I force people to call me if you want to sell me something, but every once in a while I do, I'll respond to an email because it's that good. So your email to me was that good. There's an email that's good enough that it captures my attention, and I'll call and I'll tell the person, that was a really good email that you wrote, and that's, the why, that's why I'm on the telephone with you. So the, the good news about testing is it allows you to hone in on which messages are working. If you do that over time, what happens is it allows you to, to shift and be more agile with the marketplace and how the marketplace is shifting as well. Sure, sure. Yeah. I, I, now I realize as you were talking, um, I've, I used to send a lot of emails on constant contact, and I was always very interested to see which ones opened. I was more focused on the subject, but I agree the first sentence in the email is so important. So, so thank you for that. I, I, I learned there. 
Um, the next thing that uh, I, I'll, I'll throw out a topic, and again, I'm sensitive to your time, and I think some people might want to ask you some questions, but um, time blocking, so golden versus platinum hours. Uh, again, a lot of our industry, I would say that probably 10% or less, and maybe I'm wrong, but you know, I train leasing agents around the country, and I think 10, you know, and maybe I'll be generous and say 20% or less prospects. Most of us focus on call-ins, like off of sign calls, and I would say that's the industry. So when we talk about time blocking and, go, you know, because when I say to them when I'm going and doing a workshop, well, why don't you prospect? You know, the, the excuse of, well, I don't have enough time. Uh, you know, is, is like always the number one thing. So, uh, and I always talk about the, you know, the main, the sale, selling hours. And I liked how you brought it up in your book, the golden versus the platinum. So, could could you speak to that, please? Yeah, let's start with this: how you choose to use your your time. And let me say that again: how you choose to use your time is the greatest threat to your income and your success. You're making choices every day about your time. And there are only three things in the world that you can control. You can control your actions, what you choose to do. You can control your reactions, how you choose to respond to the world, oh, I don't have any time. And you can choose your mindset about time. And when we look at the golden hours, the golden hours are the time during the day that you have the highest probability of engaging a qualified prospect who could lease a property from you. That's simple. And, and for salespeople, time blocking is the most transformational step that they can take. And that means blocking their day into small pieces so that they can get a lot done in these high-intensity sprints. So what happens is people say, I don't have enough time. And what I'll, what, what I'll look at, if I, if I sit down with them, I'll, is I'll look at them and I'll watch them do something that might have taken 15 minutes and it'll take them two hours to get it done. <clears throat> a lot of times it's because you're multitasking. A lot of times it's because... They're allowing other things to get, get in the way. A lot of times it's because they allow the work to expand into the time that they allot for it versus contracting the work into shorter periods of time. And when people tell me they don't have any time for prospecting, I'm truly incredulous because there's absolutely no reason in the world why a, an average human being who works in the sales profession can't peel off 30 minutes to an hour every single day for prospecting every day. And, and if you will take another 30 to 45 minutes inside the platinum hours, and the platinum hours are the time before and after the shoulder time, before and after the key selling time in the day, and just plan your list, plan what you're going to do, and do a little bit every single day. And, and I'll give you a great example of that. We were in Texas three weeks ago with the Texas National Guard doing some work with their recruiters. I have a new book coming out this winter called Fanatical Military Recruiting. We spent a lot of time in military recruiting with these recruiters. And they were complaining they didn't have the time to, to, to prospect. <clears throat> so we did two 15-minute phone blocks, two 15-minute splits, or sprints. And the directive was really simple. Make 15 dials in 15 minutes and set one appointment. That was all they had to do. Well, with a group of people in 30 minutes, we ended up setting 199 appointments. Wow. And we averaged about 13 calls per recruiter during that period of time. Now, if you look back on your world and you just think about your days, if you, if you just scheduled two 15-minute phone blocks and you picked up the phone and you made 10 to 20 to 30 calls during that period of time and you had a few conversations and then you did that every day, every day, every day, every day, the cumulative impact of that is massive. Now, let's tie that to email. Let's go back to email. So let's say we have an email tool that we're able to load up, we're able to build personalized email messages specific to a group of targeted prospects. 
We set that up. The email goes out in the morning. And then we followed that up with our phone block right after the email goes out. All of a sudden, we're amplifying our, our impact exponentially with these prospects, and we're, and we're engaging a lot more people. The key here is really simple with time. With time, it's this. You have three choices that you can make every moment of the day. You can do things that are impactful, you can do things that are important, or you can do things that are trivial. Now, now most people at work are not doing trivial things like watching cat videos, but most people are doing important things. And important things are following up on email, doing reports, walking the property, doing all of these things. They're important, and you have to do them, but they don't necessarily add to your income. The impactful things and the most impactful thing that you can do as a leasing agent is to lease a property. That's the most impactful thing that you can do. So you should be thinking with your your day, how do I front load my day with impact? How do I show up every morning and, and, and make the most impact? The most impact is getting a potential leasee into my pipeline so I can have a conversation with them so I can do a walkthrough of the property so I can move them through the process and move them towards a lease. And all you need to know is how many, how many times you need to show that property in order to lease it, and you can back into those numbers, and you have a, a good idea of how many touches you need to make every single day. But that's impossible to do if you walk in and your day is random. It's impossible to do if your day is full of reports and administrative work. And don't get me wrong, those things have to be done. So my best advice for you on this phone is to – Make sure that you've got at least an hour every morning blocked specifically for prospecting. Make sure that you've planned for that prospecting block in advance. So when you walk in and you start prospecting, you're doing prospecting. You can weave a social media block in anytime during your day. I typically like to do social media early in the morning, and I do it outside of my, of my traditional golden hours. You can set your emails to go out in the afternoons so that when you come in in the morning, the email is automatically hitting the street, and then you're following with that with a phone call. And then you can do the same thing, block the rest of your day off so that you can get everything done. Does it make sense? Fabulous. Uh, a couple more things. I, I thought, you know what I loved in the book when you said, you're not going to get fired for not doing the report, right? You know, if you're producing and you, because that's what they complain about. Oh, my boss has me doing too many reports. And, I'm, and, and I, I highlighted that and I actually sent it to one of my clients. Like, you're not going to get fired because you're turning the report late, but, you know, especially if you're producing. So two other questions and then I'll open it up and see if anyone has questions before you have to run. Um, I loved, so my first question is, if I wake up in the middle of the night you know, how, should I not send the text or the email to a potential prospect? Is that terrible and rude? Or do they say, oh, wow, she's, you know, woke up and she's working. So should I, because you talk about scheduling the emails or scheduling the texts. So should I not do that if it's top of mind and I'm, you know, up in the middle of the night? Well, the problem with, especially a text message, if you send a text message in the middle of the night, outside of the time when people normally see it, they may miss it. That happens to me sometimes when people send me text messages in the middle of the night. I don't see it for maybe a couple of days as I'm kind of going through my text message because it disappears. Yeah. And the same thing can happen with email. <clears throat> so there, I, I certainly would try it. I, I, would, I would try anything. I think that, you know, and that's why I love testing. Try things. If it works, it works. And if, you're, if you are working with West Coast uh, leases, um, then – you may be able to, you know, to talk to them at 5 o'clock in the morning and engage with them at 5 o'clock in the morning. When I lived in Los Angeles, I was up every day at 4.30, and I was out the door by 5.15 on my way to work. 
And I don't, I don't keep those same hours on the East Coast, but I kept them on the West Coast because of the way that we worked with the world back then because of the, you know, most of the, the work was out in the New York area. So what you have to do is think about uh, what's the best timing for your prospect and when can you time your, your email or your, or your text message in the best time. My, my best advice is start sending emails in at around 7 o'clock in the morning and you can send emails in all the way up until about 10 o'clock in the morning. But after that, if you start sending stuff in the back end of the day, people start getting busy just like you do, and they start getting you know, hung up with alligators and all the other things that are happening in their world. And it's a lot harder to engage people later in the day than it is early in the day. So front load your day with that. And if, you're, if you are going to send a text message, send a text message. If you don't get anything back, then I pick up the phone and call. Okay, and then, well, can if you I can send a text message, I can call them. Okay, and then you had said, and I, and I actually uh, heard this recently from Grant Cardone as well, that and I people would say, what do you think about texts? And up till about two months ago, I used to say, no, you can't do texts; it's so unprofessional. And now both you and Grant Cardone say that after, let's say, a call in comes in, they get a call for their property or they showed space at their property. Both of you are saying, you know, the minute that interaction's over, go ahead and text the people, uh, you know, hey, just met with you or just spoke to you about a property just to confirm, you know, this is the price and, you know, when do you want to see it? And it adds, you know, it, first of all, a lot of people aren't getting their emails to their phones or they, they're inundated with emails and the text adds a level, a level of intimacy and a sense of urgency. Um, and, and the percentage of the follow-through or the close on sending a text right after a contact is crazy. You, you had mentioned it in the book, so could you speak to that? Yeah, the, and, and, and Grant stole that from me, by the way. Oh, he did. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll tell him the next time I see him. <laughs> so we're going to give you all the credit. There you go. I, I uh, no, I think that I think Grant's exactly right. The the as soon as someone, as soon as you meet someone and and you get their business card or you get their information, you get their cell phone number. As soon as they walk away from you, send them a text and anchor the relationship. Now, a couple of things happen there. One is when they text you back, now they've given you permission to use that channel, because text is although an impersonal one-dimensional type of, of communication with the exception of emojis, uh, it is also a very personal type of, of, of uh, communication. And when I wrote Fanatical Prospecting back in 2015, uh, I think I wrote in there, my, my wife was just appalled that I would teach anybody to use text messaging to, to prospect. I, I'm not talking about blind text messaging people. That's how you get your phone blocked, and that's how you never, you know, you, you damage relationships. But once you've got familiarity with someone, you should immediately text them. And then all of a sudden, you've got text as a medium, you've got email as a medium, you've got phone as a medium, and then at the same time, I hit them up on social media. So if I meet someone and I, let's say that we have a conversation about something, the first thing I do is send them a text message, <coughs> just like you said, with a, a summary. And the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to send them a LinkedIn connection. So then I have all of the above that I can communicate with them on. And especially as you're moving a deal through the pipeline, that's helpful because people get super busy. And sometimes they ignore one channel and don't ignore the other channel. And you've got a, you've got a you know, responsibility to move your deals through the pipeline and get those, uh, you know, get those, uh, those, those spaces leased. 
And sometimes I find that when I have those different relationships with people in different places, that if they go dark on me, if I start following up in those places, I can get them reengaged a lot easier than if I only have one, one channel into them, uh, phone or email, for example. Uh-huh. Great. So um, to be sensitive to Jeb's time, does anyone on the call have a question for Jeb before he has to jump off? Hey, Jeb. This is Greg Parsons. How are you? Hey, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Um, your, your book has definitely been a, an inspiration to, I think, a lot of us in the industry, and I know it's me. Um, you, you've definitely been able to uh, spur a, uh, a newfound interest in reading, for sure. But um, I wanted to just touch base real quick about uh, the CRM, because I believe you guys use Salesforce as well, like, um, like we do with Brookfield Properties. Um, is, how are you able to use the Salesforce to basically um, create reminders um, and appointments so that you can kind of follow up with your leads? Because, I mean, I'll get 30 to 40 leads a week, and so you compound that over the course of a year, and it's, it's a little daunting task to, to kind of remember to follow up on every one of those leads every single, you know, throughout the week. So is there a quick way that you guys, that, that you, what you use to, um, to utilize Salesforce in a, in a manner that makes sense for everybody? Yeah, there's a couple of ways that you can do that. One is you set up tasks and put alarms on those tasks. So I... Personally, I find that it, it gets a little bit, you know, overwhelming, especially when you have a lot, like you have a lot of leads coming in. But that's one of the ways that you can do that. The other is you load those follow-ups in a, uh, a pre-built call list. So you build a call list. So take, essentially think I'm building a view in Salesforce. So I tag those leads in a particular way, and then I build a list. And then when I come in the morning for prospecting, those lists are already there. So I've blocked the time on my calendar for the prospecting block. And I've got those, those list views built already with those leads that come in. And in, if you're getting 30 or 40 leads a week, that's a lot of leads. And you can imagine that if we go back a year, those, 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 those leads that came in a year ago, those are still viable prospects. They're, you know, they're, unless they've been completely disqualified there's a lot of folks in there that came in. You have names, you have numbers. Those are the people that you want to continue to follow up on as you go. So there's another, there's another great tool. I mentioned this earlier. It's called Outreach IO. And I, we, my team just started working with Outreach back in August. And we started working with them because a number of our clients were using Outreach and they were asking us for help in building out their sequences. And what Outreach does is let's say you took a list of those 40 leads, you can drop that into outreach, and you can build a sequence for email, for phone, for, uh, for social media, and for snail mail. We use, we use a lot of snail mail, believe it or not, it's really powerful. So you could put all that in there, and then you set up a sequence, and you come in during a prospecting block, and you run that particular sequence for that group. It connects directly into uh, Microsoft 365 Outlook or into Gmail, and, and, and then it puts every, everything you do, it puts it back into Salesforce as a note. But what that does is it takes those 40 leads and it puts them on a, a, a sequence of, let's say that the sequence was 15 touches, and then all you do is log in, and what, and what, what the, the plays or the sequences that are set up for that particular day, they're already there for you, and you just run down the list. And... 
I've, you know, I've, I mentioned a lot of tools in fanatical prospecting. There's not a lot of tools that I'm, I've got like this gaga over that I think is, it's this good. Uh, but is that good? It's a really powerful tool, so much so that um, that we've, as a as a firm, we are working with them now to uh, to 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 get better at it, so we can go back and teach our clients and help them get better at it as well. But it's something worth taking a look at. And uh, and if anybody wants, if you want a connection to them, I, I'll be happy to make that connection. Uh, it's Jeb at SalesGravy.com. I have I have no dog in the hunt other than I just really really love this tool and it. It blew me away, but it's it's a it's a it's an easy way to solve the problem that you're facing, which is that you know how do I do with, deal with all those leads and all those reminders, and if you're not using Salesforce, if you're using HubSpot, HubSpot just added sequencing in, so they've got that there. Um, there's another one out there called Pipeliner. It's a it's a CRM. It's if you're if you're looking for CRMs, uh, fabulous. And uh, and I would use Pipeliner if I wasn't so embedded in Salesforce. I'd switch to Pipeliner because I think it's that good, and it works with these other tools as well. And it will also connect with HubSpot. So. A, um, you know, a, a, there's a, a bunch of them out there, but but I think that what's happening is, and if you'll you know you'll look and see, everybody's starting to get a clue that this ability to manage these leads over the long time, to- long term, because sometimes it takes. 15, 16 touches in order to engage someone. You've got to have something that'll help you manage that. And I hope I answered your question. Thanks, Jeb. I appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Anybody else have a question for Jeb? Did you guys hear uh, sales, Jeb at salesgravy.com and make sure that you uh, download his podcast? As, you know, anybody else? Barry? Yeah, if I could jump in. Can I jump yep. in real quick, Beth? Yep. Hey, Jeb. This is Barry Wolf again. So, Jeb, again, I appreciate everything you do. Quick question. I will tier my clients and prospects kind of tier one, tier two, and three, and how often – I'll reach out to them. How I reach out to them will vary based on which of those groupings they, they go in. How do you, as far as your team and yourself personally, any thoughts or suggestions kind of how you group your prospects and go about that and maybe how that impacts how and all, yeah. how often you reach out to them? Yeah, we, we, we do a, a very similar thing, Barry. We use, um, we use a different moniker. We use HPP, MPP, LPP. So, uh, so high potential prospects, medium potential prospects, low potential prospects, and that's built on our ideal prospect profile. So <clears throat> we try to – low potential prospects, we, only, we, we would only use, for the most part, we would lump them into mass email blast, things like that. We probably don't spend a lot of time on LPPs. MPPs and, and HPPs we spend a lot of time on. Now, we, we take that one level – are one step further, Barry, and what we do is we, we also we have high potential and high probability. So high potential means that, for example, out of your world, Starbucks, I, I'm just guessing, okay, Barry, but Starbucks would be a high potential prospect because they, they lease lots of space, they have lots of stores, they have a lot of stuff going on. I don't know if they're franchising, but there's a lot of things happening. So, and they've got a lot of money. So that would be a, a high potential. In my space, you know, a company, a B2B uh, business services company that is between 50 and $250 million and has a sales force that's greater than 20, that would be high potential for me. You would think it would be a Fortune, Fortune 1000, but Fortune 1000s are MPPs for us. They come, we, we get them through osmosis, not necessarily through prospecting because they, they have to have a very specific 
need or change that we don't know about that gets them to engage. So we have a couple of really big projects working with them right now, but they came to us. But the but the HPPs that 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 you know 100 million, 50 million to 250 million, we're on the phone, we're calling, we're working those really, really, really hard. Now the high the high probability is. Once we start meeting with them, part of our qualifying process is what's the probability that this that this potential prospect is going to move into close? They're going to sign a contract. They're going to spend money. They're going to do something. So you can be a high high potential and a high probability. And we and then as we start looking at our and our, our prospecting calls, we call it a prospecting pyramid. We then order our prospecting calls by HPP, MPP, LPP, and then by high probability, medium probability, low probability. Does that make sense? It, it does. Yeah, no, definitely. I appreciate it. Okay. Any uh, last question before we let uh, Jeb go? Hey, this is Justin Sterling in Knoxville. Just one quick question to your comments or a little bit earlier, Jeb. When you are persistent in following up with your leads, we know it takes time. But is there a trigger event when your lead is clearly a dead lead? For example, when someone says, stop calling me, then I usually don't refer them as a lead anymore. What about you? Okay, uh, great question. If someone says, don't call me anymore, I call. Uh, <laughs> I just do. If they hang up on the phone me, I call back. And let me explain why. No, and, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a brilliant question that you just asked. So you guys are in the business-to-business space. If it was business-to-consumer, let's say that you were selling residential homes and you, um, you, know, are, are, you, know, you were doing apartment leasing or what have you, um, that's a different thing. If, I, if I'm on the phone, if I'm in a B2C type situation and I'm making an outbound call, see insurance, what have you, and the person says, screw you, don't ever call me again, I don't ever call them again. And, and that's because there's a, there's a difference between calling a consumer, an individual, and calling a company, because with companies, the company is not a single person. So the single person may say, don't ever call us again, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that company is no longer a qualified prospect. You may change the frequency that you call them because you're not getting anywhere. You may look at their, you know, their situation, their financial situation, and say at this moment, they're not a, they're not a good quality prospect for me. I'm not going to waste time on this. Uh, I don't want to spend my time on the wrong prospects. But I don't take people off my list just because they don't. They say don't call anymore if they're a B two B company. And 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 it's you know it's funny because like I, I was talking to a salesperson the day ago and he said the same thing to me and I said well who told you not to call anymore and he said the receptionist. I said so you have a twelve dollar an hour person making a decision for a four billion dollar company. That's that's they didn't stop being a qualified prospect. That individual stopped being a person that you should call. So. And it's, and it's amazing for me when I watch my own sales team, especially on the advertising side of our business. We, we sell employment advertising. We have a big job board on Sales Gravy. And they'll call the person and say, we don't need anything. Don't call us anymore. And then the very next day, a phone will ring, and there will be that person on the phone ordering a job post package. So my rep's going, this doesn't make any sense. I go, well, what changed? And, and they go, well, I guess they needed somebody. I go, yeah, what changed was – the vice president of sales walked into this person's office and said, we're down three heads. I need somebody. Go get them right now. And, and you have to think that same way too. Sometimes there, there is no opportunity in the short term. That would be a low probability opportunity, but that doesn't mean there's still not a high potential prospect. So when someone says, don't call me anymore, I call. Now, that doesn't mean I'm a stalker. 
if I, if I talk to somebody and say, don't call me anymore, and they're emphatic about it, and there's nothing there right now, I simply make a note, and I'll put them on a six-month, and I'll do something. That, you know, sometimes I'll try to re-engage them with a white paper or something of value to them, but I just don't take business-to-business prospects off my list just because somebody there says don't call. I hope that makes sense. So in yeah, the book, it makes perfect those, sense. Thanks for the content. Yeah, for those of you that haven't had a chance to read it yet, two examples very funny. So uh, Jeb walks into a, a place, and the ladies like told him no, you know, nine out of ten times. And, she, and Jeb walks in, and, she, and the lady, go, the gatekeeper says, "Oh no, not you again." And Jeb goes, "Yeah, I haven't had my quota of rejection." rejection enough today so I wanted to come see you and of course she laughs you use humor and then you know he, he engages and has dialogue the other funny thing that I've never thought of and I, I thought I was pretty creative Jeb but when Jeb says that sometimes he goes around the back of the house or the back of the warehouse or the back of the business and starts talking up people. So I thought that that was ingenious. Uh, and then the, what I have done, especially with national retailers, is Jeb will just start pushing different extensions. And I'm sure many of us have tried to do this. To, when you're trying, you can't find the head of real estate for Starbucks and you just start calling Starbucks corporate and you know, pushing different extensions and then getting someone there to help. So, all right. Well, Jeb, um, we're going to continue to talk about you and your book, but we do appreciate and are sensitive to your time. Um, please, you guys, whoever has not bought the book, buy the book or buy the download, the Audible. Jeb, you know, uh, does the audio himself. He's very entertaining. And if anyone is 50 million or up, please call him and use him for your. Uh, for you know his sales training and download his podcast. Anything else that we can help you with today, Jeb? Anything we can do for you? No, thank you so much. And you know, one of the nicest things you can do, uh, if you like the book, is go to Amazon and just you know a couple of sentences and a five star review. Wonders for authors. So <laughs> it's just one of the nicest things you can do. And if you like fanatical prospecting, Barry, I know you're reading Objections. I highly recommend reading Objections. It's a, it's, it's a really nice follow-up, especially in light of some of the things we've been talking today that will help you. It builds out getting past objections uh, in a much deeper way, and, uh, and I, think, I think you would enjoy having those two books together. So, uh, so in summary, go write a review and read Objections. We will, we will read Objections. It will be in the 2019 Book Club selection. How about that? Perfect. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you, Jeb, so much. Everyone else, stay on the call. Thank you, Jeb. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. How was that? Everyone? That was pretty awesome. Great. Fantastic. He's great. You guys, whoever has... That was like, I'm reading this book and listen, I just finished listening to it over the weekend, but I've read it twice. Barry, can you share, are you still on the phone? Yeah, no, I am. Can you share what you did with your team that you talked about at the beginning of the call? Because I thought that was awesome. Yeah, we have some young guys. Well, actually, I take that back. We do have some. We have a couple young guys, but in myself and another agent that's you know similar, you know, been in the business for like 15 plus years. We got like five guys together. Basically, I just sent around an email in my office. Anybody that wanted, to, I just thought so much of the book. Anybody that wanted to join. We're going to do a little book club. I'm happy to lead that you know, we met like once a week for 45 minutes or so and just go through a few chapters at a time, talk through the book and what we're seeing in, you know, in our business related to what we were reading in the book. And 
I it's been very helpful to all of us, both the younger guys and, frankly, myself too. Um, so, it's, so now I, mean, I just I just think it's a phenomenal book. I like Jeb a lot. I think he's a great writer and has tons and tons of phenomenal information in there. Who else has read the book and has a, a specific uh, thing that they liked that they read? Hey Beth, I, I've I've read. So this is Craig Parsons. I mean, I read um, Fanatical Prospecting. Actually, I read it twice in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what's interesting is that the, just the different resources. And, and so I think if anybody, um, you know, Jeb and Anthony in Reno, um, um, he's another sales author. Um, you know, those two seem to are on the same page. And I mean, they really get it. But I, I think the most important thing that I've got out of this was the time blocking. Um, you know, how you just organize your calendar, um, you know, set aside individual, you know, blocks of time throughout the week and organize your, organize your sales week. And, I mean, I think it really keeps you focused on, on the, the task at hand, which is ultimately selling and leasing, and it really allows you to touch as many prospects as you possibly can, um, you know, in a really short period of time. Awesome. Yeah. I don't know if Aliona's on the call, but she had seen me at a nice I am. Hi. Okay. What did, tell me what you talked about the time blocking. Yeah. I mean, I love the book. I've been implementing the whole getting things done and avoid multitasking uh, throughout the day as I prospect. And it's crazy how much you can get done by just focusing on one hour of prospecting. You can do 30 to 50 calls in one hour and follow up because some of the emails may take 10, 15 seconds to follow up. So it's just impressive how much you can get done in one hour of focused work and and not multitasking, jumping from different things, you know? Absolutely. I don't know. I hear music. I don't know why we hear yeah. music. You put the phone it's phone like phone. somebody on hold or something. Yeah. All right. Sorry about that. And I know you guys had that beeping. I don't know what the beeping was. Uh, you know, anytime you try a new service, we'll figure that out. That was annoying, but it eventually went away, but not by anything I did. Um, the uh, <laughs> music. We could start dancing. I loved um, what he talked about. Uh, the analysis paralysis and, you know, 80% is better than nothing. Because I think sometimes we all get, you know, we get stuck on, I don't want to make the cold calls because I didn't do the research on the company. And that's where he talks about, you know, there's golden hours and platinum hours. And if we did time block, you know, and we said, you know, every day from, you know, 10 to 11, we're going to, you know, just make cold calls. And then, then you've got time in the rest of the day to do the social media and the planning ahead. The same thing with canvassing. You know, that was always my thing is every Tuesday I'd canvass, you know, from one to four. That, you know, that was my Bible. You know, I did it re- religiously, you know, when I was younger, I did it more. But if, you know, if you can time block and not let things interrupt you, you know, it's so crucial. And then planning, and then when you time block, then your schedule opens up to do the planning for the prospecting so that you don't sit down and go, okay, I'm going to make, you know, I want to do some cold calling. Oh, I forgot to, to do the upfront research on the guy, and I don't want to look like an idiot, so I'm just not going to call. Uh, I think that the calling is more important than the planning, right? And I thought what he said on our call today when he said uh, there's, it, there's impactful things, important things, and tri- trivial things. And I so believe that we fill our days 
which is why I always say if everyone, you know, it, it would be great if you could, you know, time log a week, but if you just time logged a day every 15 minutes for one day and then looked at it or sent it to me and we could talk about it, a couple of you did that in the last 30 days, but what are we doing that is not impactful? You know, sure, we're filling our day, but are we filling our day with things that are important or impactful? And in the book, he says, which I brought up on the call, your boss is not going to fire you because you turn in your activity report late. He's going to fire you because you're not leasing the space. So I do know that sometimes there's reports, especially some of you REIT companies, you bigger companies, but... And I'm always telling your leasing directors or your leasing directors on the phone calls, you know, we don't want the leasing agents doing all those reports. But take control and be the CEO of your own future and, you know, focus on the prospecting and getting the leases done. And, you know, the rest of it, I believe, will take care of itself. Now, you know, not that I want to get you in trouble, but I just think in the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to care less if you're a rock star and you're producing and you're, you know, getting leases signed left and right. You know, frankly, I'm going to hire an intern or an assistant to help you with the reports if you're leasing, you know, two or three leases or four or five leases a month. Right? Hey, Beth. Michael Brandon yeah. here. Um, Hi. One of the most important things in his book that I really love is this concept of eating the frog is doing the one thing that you find least desirable or and really that's just prospecting, is do that as the first thing you do in the morning. Right. And, and frankly, do it before you open your inbox. Right. Don't even open your inbox. Just, you know, your pre-prepared call list that you made the night before, load that up, however you do it, Excel, Salesforce, what have you, and rip right through it and then follow up with your email. If it's important enough for them to email you and it's really important, they'll call. For sure. I, I agree. I agree. I don't know if some of uh, – thank you, Michael. I don't know if you guys saw the post I did um, yesterday when I was going – finishing up the reading of the book, but on page 105 he wrote, he believes that social media is the most important tool in sales since the telephone. So for those of you – and I think Josie says there's over 200 people on the call. Uh, you know, I wish I could do a survey. How many of you are active on social? Based on my travels and based on what I see, you know, Greg Parsons for sure is active on LinkedIn. But if, if you guys now think that he's an authority in sales, which I, how do you not listen to him and read the book and not know that? If you guys buy off on that he's an authority, and in 2015 he wrote the statement that social media is the most important tool that's been invented since the telephone in sales. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Hey, Beth, Justin Sterling, Knoxville. I have a hypothesis about an answer to that question. It seems like commercial real estate is uh, late adopters, where a lot of residential folks, I've heard you talk about this before, are kind of early adopters of some of this technology yeah. and I don't know if um, I don't know the answer but uh, I really love your encouragement for people to take ownership of their own pipeline as as their own and, and uh, don't wait for your broker to get on board there are cheap solutions out there for CRM and outbound email and things like that that you can do right now today 
absolutely, and, I, and thank you, Justin. And what I would what I would encourage. So this is what what I did. So two years ago, I looked around and I said, "Who is doing anything on social in South Florida?" And I literally came up with four or five guys, and I invited them to lunch. And I invited someone that wasn't engaged. Who on the call is that? I'm not. This is Teresa Grassoff. I'm not engaged in social. I think that was me. So, I, I am not engaged. So I, this is Aliona. I, right. So I, I invited Facebook. Barry Wolf to come to the lunch, and I said, you need to get involved in social with the information you have that you could share and, ben- and benefit us and people get to know you. Barry, how has getting involved in social in the last two years since that first lunch, has it helped your business? Or, or, or maybe it hasn't, or maybe you haven't seen the results yet. Yeah, I don't, as I say, I don't know that you can quantify it. Um, I mean, I'd say, yeah, it definitely has. If nothing else, it, it helps open the door when I'm at conferences and calls. I think it's, you know, from a credibility standpoint, clients or prospects are seeing, you know, some of the posts and find a value. I, I don't know that I can quantify I have X dollars more in my bank account at all, but I would absolutely do it again. And if anything, I'm, you know, we'll discuss here soon. I'm looking to ramp it up next year. So I'm, I'm a big believer in it. So I think, so Justin, my point to you is look around Nashville and say who else is doing it. And then if one person's doing it, and if you like another person who you think should be doing it, set up a lunch and make two, and so we meet quarterly, our group. We have about five or six people. We're adding a couple. We meet, and what we do is we sit around and we go, and and someone's good on LinkedIn, and someone else is good on Facebook, and someone else is good on YouTube, and someone else is good on Instagram, and we sit around, and we, the first meet, we had a lunch, the first lunch, and then we started having, like, like we had an hour meeting, and then we realized that was not long enough. So we meet quarterly, and we spend about two to three hours, and everyone commits, and we go around the table, and I think we all get something out of it because over the, the three months that we're not meeting, we're all trying new things. And then we commit to the group, you know, I want to try to do this, I want to try to do that. So for Justin, if it's something you want to do, or Greg, in your markets, look around and see, is anyone else doing it? And then maybe it's just well. two of you. But I think that it's helped me by having this little social media group because I, I'm learning from them and they're learning from me. And, it, and, it, and we're all in the commercial real estate industry, albeit maybe different roles. So I think that that could help, you know, for all of us, if, if that's an idea in your, in your uh, respective markets. Okay. Is everyone else still there? Yes, we are. I okay, have a good. question for, I don't know who, how many people are on call that are active in social media, but have any one of you that is active tracked your time and how much hours you spend a week on social media? That doesn't only include posts, but everything, like how much do you engage, doing likes, uh, setting up the videos, and all of it combined. Well, I, I'm waiting for someone else to jump in. But I hey, Beth, it's Aaron. I probably spend less than two hours a week. Beth, it's Aaron. I, I would say the same thing. I, I, I don't spend – and it, it's funny because people – the first thing people say to me at ICSEs is, oh, it's the LinkedIn guy. It's Aaron. Oh, man, you're super active on LinkedIn. I spend probably 15 minutes a day on it, realistically. You know, I'll throw a post in maybe twice a week, and then I like and comment 
So you said two hours in a week. I mean, I would say, yeah, call it, even including Saturdays and Sundays, call it two hours a week for me as well. It's not a huge commitment. And, and do you prospect on Facebook? So that includes prospecting and everything all combined, two hours a week. For me, yeah. I mean, I'm not really prospecting on LinkedIn a lot. It's not, I don't find it to be the avenue, the appropriate avenue to do it. On LinkedIn, I'm really, and, and Jeb actually finally, I've been trying to define the value that I get out of LinkedIn, both internally here at PEB and externally. And I, Jeb finally defined it for me the right way today. And for me, it's familiarity. Um, you, you're not going to see me pitching a site and asking you to lease space on LinkedIn a lot. Um, I use it for one of two ways when I'm posting into the masses. I try to get other people engaged on it. I'll ask questions. I'll, get, I'll, I'll throw out my opinions and just sort of just document, as Gary Vee says. And then the other way that I use it is, is I've, I've, what I've done is anytime I go to an ICSC or, or I meet someone, if I take their business card, not only am I following up via email now, but I'm also connect, you know, reaching out to them on LinkedIn to build that extra touch point. And I will tell you that, and, and, and to Barry's point, like I, I really, unfortunately, I can't tell you I've made more money or, or gotten real hard data of, of more deals that we've gotten done as a result, as a result of that, but I will say that it's, it's gotten people to return my phone calls faster. So will that lead to a deal one day? Probably, um, but it's not like a, a, a direct data result that I wish I could just spit off numbers for you right now. So, so hey, I, have LinkedIn, I have a hey, LinkedIn back. hack. Uh, one second. Let me tell you guys yep. about this LinkedIn hack. If you go to LinkedIn um, and you uh, – are on your main page, there is a thing at the top that says, um, oh shoot, or you go to people, you push the thing people at the bottom, and at the top there's something that says find nearby. If you're at an ICSC and you're at a round table, have everyone do it. And if everyone pushes the people icon at the bottom and then goes to the top and you push find nearby, everyone at the table will pop up and all you have to do is, you know, push on their, their emoticon at, on the right, boom, 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 and you add like 10 friends in a second. Is that amazing? Amazing. But you got to like do it at a round table or do it, you know, it, like the next time I teach a session, I'm going to say everyone open LinkedIn and then you can, everyone can be friends with each other in a second. Um, okay, who else? We're getting to the near the end this of time. This is Tammy. It's Tammy. I just, hi. I just wanted to share regarding LinkedIn, um, and uh, forgive me. I had to jump on another call, so if I'm repeating, just let me know. I've I do social media, but only as prospecting, not not necessarily um, advertising. And in the last month, I've been using it to reach out to people in the medical field because it's so hard to figure out who is either repping or a, a director of real estate for any kind of urgent care or health facility. And I am getting responses back on LinkedIn 99% of the time. Fabulous. Yeah, how awesome is that? You know, I send them an invite, and then I send along with the invite, I send a message that what I'm looking for, can you direct me to the right person, or are you the right person? And I get a response 99% of the time. Okay, fabulous. All right, I, uh, unfortunately, you know, I promise you guys to, to always hang up at uh, 1225. So a couple things. Um, the next book is Selling is Invisible. 
and it's December 14th. I, we will work on getting these glitches uh, finished. We had to at change systems because the last system we were using muted everybody. When we have when an author comes on, it mutes people after like 30 people, so that didn't work. So we'll work on that. Um, Selling is invisible. It's a great book, and uh, if you haven't heard the news, I wrote a book. Yay! And it's called Don't Say No for the Prospect, and we'll be shipping those on January 2nd. So my guess is we'll, that will either be the January or the February book. But, everyone, thanks so much. Have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll talk in December. Uh, selling is invisible. Thank you. Thanks, you too. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a Thanksgiving.